Welcome to Christian Life Assembly Online. We are so glad that you were able to join us. We hope you enjoy the message this week from Pastor Jim Poirier. For more information, please visit our website at www.clawinnipeg.org. Or if you have a prayer request, please email us at prayer at clawinnipeg.org. We continue our series in Luke chapter uh, 12 today. We are parking there, verse 1 to 12. And we all know that uh, warning labels are pretty commonplace for us. We read them all the time. I'm not one of those people that are great at reading warning labels. I rarely get a medication from the doctor and, and ever look at the side effects. I just trust them and hope everything works out okay. But warning labels are there oftentimes to help. It seems the lowest common denominator, and you're going to see why I say that when I read some of the warning labels that are out there. Uh, there's one on a dog medication. A warning label on a dog medication. I want you to hear that. Dog medication. That says, may cause drowsiness. Use care when operating a car. So if you're ever going to send Bowser to 7-Eleven to get your newspaper, make sure he's not medicated. Baby stroller. Here's an, a warning on a baby stroller. Remove child before folding. For a hot takeout coffee, do not pour in crotch area. Now I could see this I could see this next one being uh, relevant maybe for some southern parts of the United States where you might actually see somebody strapping a wheelbarrow to the back of their car and towing it down the highway. Wheelbarrow that says, not intended for highway use. Another one, for rat poison. Rat poison. Warning, has been found to cause cancer in laboratory mice. You would not want that rat to catch cancer as you're trying to poison it to death. For fire logs, here's a warning, caution, risk of fire. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Pepper spray may irritate eyes. Well, I'm sure hoping it's going to. And for the fishermen, when you buy a fishing hook, be aware, they're harmful if swallowed. And I can't imagine the context or the situation that would cause a company to have to put this warning label on a letter opening opener, safety goggles recommended. Going to be getting some of those for Elizabeth in the office. She opens the mail. I'll bring some on Monday. Bar of soap. Use like regular soap. And finally, Zoo has a warning. Please be safe. Do not sit, climb, or lean on fences. If you fall, the animals may eat you. And that makes them sick. Thank you. People do some pretty unintelligent things that they usually end up being able to sue and get money for. 
And that's why these warning labels exist. Warning labels are necessary and sometimes they're very necessary and very important. And I want to talk to you today about reading the warning labels as we look at Luke chapter 12, verse 1 to 12. To give you a little bit of background on where we're going in this chapter, Jesus, they say, was at the height of his popularity at about this time. Uh, he had, his fame had grown uh, substantially, and yet his popularity was just on the cusp of going into decline at this point. He had been visiting a, a Pharisee's house, and for those of us that may have forgotten, Pharisees were the, the religious establishment, the keepers of the law. They, they made up the rules, them and the experts in the law, and, and they would be out there like law police making sure that nobody, uh, nobody messed up. So they had high expectations for other people. And so Jesus is at a Pharisee's house, and, and almost immediately, as you look in chapter 11, they started picking at Jesus because he, he didn't wash before the meal. Now, they would have had some probably pretty extreme ways of uh, being clean and washing before a meal. And so they went after him on, on that. And, and Jesus, rather than succumbing to that, uh, launched into a series of warnings and rebukes uh, aimed at the Pharisees. And he addressed their hypocrisy and their double standards. What a, what a wonderful house guest he would have been in this particular context. We, you know, we sometimes get the idea that Jesus was always nicey-nice. But Jesus spoke the truth, and Jesus was not a afraid to challenge the establishment and, and the religious ways of people. One of the experts in the law that was sitting there said, you know, you are insulting us. Well, rather than Jesus backing off and saying, oh, I, I better, you know, get my manners. That's not how Mary taught me. He doubled down on his rebukes and went on to say, look, you guys impose laws on other people that, you know, you don't even keep yourselves. You don't, you don't lift a finger to help them. You, you impose these laws and these rules, but you don't even help them. Now, in the meantime, while this is going on outside, this throng, this crowd of thousands, the Bible says, gathered outside of the house where Jesus was. And Jesus emerges from this house into this throng, and I, I kind of picture it today how it might be when a rock star uh, gets out of a limousine and and, and there's a throng of people and they're shouting and they're, they're pushing and shoving and grabbing at him trying to get to this rock star. And you might say in modern day terms, Jesus had acquired a little bit of a rock star status. He'd performed miracles. He'd provided for people. And people were wanting to see this Jesus. And so then we come to our story today in Luke chapter 12, verse 1 to 12. And the encouragement for us is to live courageously for Christ in this passage of Scripture. 
and to follow some warnings along with it. And so what we're going to do is look at about uh, four different ideas here in this passage of Scripture and read the Scriptures along as we go through each idea. And so the first one is addressing the integrity crisis that Jesus does in verse 1 to 3. And I'll read along here. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be displaced or hidden that will not be made known. What you said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. They say that there that integrity is a personal quality of fairness that we all aspire to unless you're a dishonest immoral scoundrel of course. And I think as as I know people I think most of us want to walk with a a great deal of integrity. But we're also very aware that all of us could cross a line at any time and make a mistake. And so we need to guard our hearts. We need to watch our lives. And those words are actually in Scripture, to guard your heart, to watch your life and your doctrine closely. And no one is immune from breakdowns of personal integrity. One of the podcast preachers, one of my favorite podcast preachers that I like to live or listen to, in February was removed from his church, a church that he had started some 30 years ago. So he had some leadership currency. But the general story is that how he appeared publicly was not how he acted privately. And eventually it caught up with him. And they removed this very talented, gifted pastor who had done a great work. And so we need to be very careful. It's very sad when we see these things happen. And I cast no dispersions or judgments on anyone in using this illustration. But I just simply say it because we all need to be careful. In the book of James, it says, don't just look at the word, but be doers of the word. Don't read the word and then immediately forget what it says. And, and this is something that I'm finding in my own walk with the Lord, how important it is to, to read the word and say, okay, now, Lord, help me to live that out in my life. Help me, Lord, not to, to pass over this or to gloss over it, but to apply it to my own heart. Sometimes there's a disconnect for, for us as followers of Jesus between knowing or hearing and doing. And we need to be doers of the word. See, Jesus left this, this Pharisee's house and, 
And these people were all great at maintaining an image of religiosity. They were all great at at looking on the outside like they were good, but Jesus was able to look at their hearts and see that no, the actual opposite was true for them. They were well-intentioned, I'm sure, but many were misguided in that they failed to live up to the very things that they called others to live up to. And we can run the same risk. And it's very sad when we as believers are quick to say the world needs to do this and the world needs to do that and oh my look what the world is doing and all the while we're doing the same what a terrible testimony that is for the Lord well how do we safeguard ourselves from running into an integrity crisis I've come up with a few a few thoughts here today the first one is walk in in humility. Walk in humility. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it said, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And it may not be that outwardly we appear to be prideful and boastful. I'm not talking about that. But pride is, is such a such a sneaky thing that can make its way into our lives and we're not even aware of it sometimes. And the way that it will oftentimes manifest itself is that we think, well, I won't get caught. Others won't know. Uh, This doesn't apply to me. And those are signs of pride. Those are signs of pride. When we can think, well, I'm above this where I can get away with this. I don't have to check my attitude at the door. I can hold resentments and and bitterness and unforgiveness. That can be a sign of pride. It doesn't apply to me. I'm I'm better than that. So we need to walk in pride. We need or in humility and get give away uh, any feelings of pride. Give those away to the Lord and say, God help me to walk in absolute humility. The second uh, idea is that we would submit our lives to evaluation. Now, that sounds like a little bit of a an odd thing to say, but do you submit your life to to evaluation? How do you respond? You know, these are just some questions. How do you respond if somebody were to point out an error? Or say, you need to work on this area. Or I see, I see a weakness here. How do we respond to that? Do, do we submit ourselves to evaluation? Are we open to that? Are we open to, to critique? Or sometimes a rebuke? Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. It hurts sometimes when people would point out an error error in our lives. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I like that, later on. You know, after you have worked through the feelings of anger and disappointment and resentment 
And why would that person say that to me? Later on, it says it produces a harvest of righteousness. Why is that? Because oftentimes those words sit in our spirit and we mull them over and we evaluate ourselves and we come to grips with what was said and we realize they meant well. And yeah, they were right. And then change comes. It produces a harvest of righteousness. And we become better. And if you've gone through that, it is a painful process. I've certainly gone through that in my own life, and it's hard. It's hard. Another idea is to commit to transparency. And this may be a little bit of a a new thought to us, but are we willing to be transparent in our lives. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is effective and powerful. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. You know, we we don't really talk about that a lot in our circles. We don't really. And we don't really require it a lot of one another, but I'm thinking of our life groups, and we have about 50 or 60 people that gather in our life groups each week, and what might happen if we integrated this to be part of it, where we can openly and safely share our struggles, and our sorrows, and our disappointments? Commit yourself to to transparency. You know, I'm really struggling with this. I'm really struggling with that. And, and maybe it's not in the context of the entire life group, but you, you latch on to one or two people that you feel you can really trust in the life group. It doesn't have to be public. Sometimes those things are left private, and it's better. And so those are a few things that we can do to help to address an integrity crisis in our life. second point I want to make this morning is the power of choice. The power of choice. And as we look at um, the next verses, it says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Power of choice. We all have a choice between faith and fear. Francis Chan, in a recent book I just read, uh, called Letters to the Church, a very powerful, significant book, challenging, believe me, shared an experience where he was visiting with believers in China. And as you know, there's persecution in uh, China for Christians and many other countries around the world. And, And they were in their quiet little underground church meeting and they were sharing experiences of persecution. 
And you would think that they would be, oh, this terrible thing happened. And, and, and tears shed and sorrow and, oh, you know, poor Johnny, we really feel sorry for you. No, there was joy and elation as they were sharing their stories of being persecuted. And one guy starts sharing, and then they started to shoot at me. And he's laughing his head off as he talks about being shot at. They're not afraid. And they counted it all joy to suffer for Jesus. They counted it all joy to, to be able to be counted worthy to be persecuted. And they were exuberant in their joy and their expressions of, of happiness at, at being worthy to be suffering for Jesus. What an incredible testimony and, and polar opposite to why, how we might feel in our own culture. Jesus was very aware that very soon his own experience would be that they would kill his body. But he also made it really clear that that's the limit of their power. That's as far as they can go. And after that, they have no, no power over you, no control. That's it. That's all they can do. And so we have a choice of fear or faith. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is the worst that anybody could ever do to me? Well, I guess they could kill you. Be your faith. Maybe more realistically, in the world we live, they might hurt your feelings. They might bruise your ego. They might damage your reputation or your image. But no matter what, you go through. There's nothing that you will go through that does not pass through the hands of the Lord. He consents to it. And as we read this passage of scripture, there is this wonderful deep assurance that Jesus knows every detail of your life and that you matter to him. And he numbers the hairs of your head. We have a few married couples here. Some of you have been married for many years and you love each other. Some of you have had spouses and you've really loved each other and they passed on. And there's all kinds of stuff we know about each other. I'll tell you this though, I do not have a hot clue how many hairs my wife has on her head. I don't have an idea. And quite frankly, as long as she's bald, not bald, that's all I care is that she's got hair on her head. And Jesus says, the hairs of your head are numbered. When you have a Savior who has that kind of an intimate concern for your life, you don't have to worry about a lot. Third thing I want to talk about today is the power of the tongue. As we look at verses... Um, 8 to 10. It says, I tell you that whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now Jesus demands of us Profession. Confession. 
And we also realize that in many parts of the world, to confess that Jesus is your Savior, to profess your faith in him, to say Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Lord of my life, that statement can be a very costly statement. It could cost you your life. It could cost you your liberty, your freedom. It may exclude you from employment, from jobs, from education. You may experience extreme discrimination. You may lose possessions. Everything you've worked for, you could lose on a profession of Christ. You could find yourself living without the comforts of life. In some contexts, that's true. For some people, professing Christ would be excommunication from their families because they're denying the culture and the religion of their family grouping. Some people have had to flee for their lives, even in our own church. They've had to flee for their lives and come to a different country. And they've landed here in Christian Life Church. And it's, it's really something to sit and, and look a brother and sister in the eye and hear them tell a story that seems so, to us, unbelievable. But they're living it right in front of us. And so we are in incredibly great company When we say, I am a Christian, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and we know that we are standing shoulder to shoulder with people whom it has cost them their lives to make that declaration, it is not something we say lightly. And the context here is Jesus is laying out the, the cost of discipleship. It means something to say, Jesus is Lord of my life. And I pray that it would not just be for us a badge of honor or a ticket to heaven, but it really means everything to us to say Jesus is Lord. And now we go to verse number 10. And it's a troubling verse that troubles a lot of people and I've heard many discussions about it where someone comes along and says, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that I have committed the unforgivable sin. Well, the unforgivable sin would be blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And Jesus experienced people who saw his work and opposed his work and rejected him. They knew that it was good and it was true and it was pure and noble, but still they rejected him. But when we reject the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, we make a mockery of it, and we reject it, and we turn our backs on it. And we say, I I just want to pursue my own selfish ends, and and that's foolishness, or or that's of the devil. I, I, I reject that. They know it's from God, but still they choose to reject it. And there's an absolute denial of the Holy Spirit that would be crossing the line into blasphemy. Some people are worried that they have committed the unforgivable sin, and I would say this. 
that if you are worried or concerned that you have committed the unforgivable sin, then you likely did not commit it. Why do I say that? Because when you get to that place of blasphemy, you are so far gone that you don't care. You don't consider it. It doesn't matter to you. And you don't want forgiveness. You don't seek forgiveness. Your heart is so hard. And so Christian, if you're ever worried (laughs) that you have done something that God can't forgive, take comfort in the fact, the fact that you're worried about it, you can be forgiven. And the Lord loves you and he'll forgive you. We need to keep moving here. The power of trusting. The power of trusting. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry. We can trust the Lord in the most adverse situations and circumstances. And I like the fact that not only in these extreme situations where a Christian would be brought before a court or authorities or judges to be tested and tried for their Christianity or, or maybe breaking the rules of blasphemy in their country. And the Bible's really clear. You don't have to worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you what you need. You don't have to study for the test. You just trust the Lord. But I also want to say that there are Uh, before all of that, there are utterance gifts of the Holy Spirit that we are also given. As you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 and following, I want to mention words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy, uh, tongues and interpretation. These are utterance gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. We see these manifest in the church today where someone may give a word of prophecy. That's the Lord speaking to us. You, you don't study that. You don't look for it. You don't, you don't uh, necessarily know what is going to be said through you. The Holy Spirit gives it to you at the right time. Same with tongues and interpretation. But I want to pause and talk for a moment about words of knowledge. A word of knowledge is, is imparting uh, information, knowledge that normally wouldn't be known to you. I've seen this, this happen in, in times of prayer, even here at the altar where, where um, as you're praying for somebody, the Lord just gives you a word, a knowing, an understanding of how to pray for that situation. Sometimes that word is, is uh, a word of knowledge may be needed in the context of believers gathering and, and they're asking God for, for guidance, for understanding, and a word of knowledge may come. This person just knows that they know that they know. Word of wisdom is the application of knowledge. It's a wise application of knowledge. And the Lord gives words of wisdom as well. It can happen in a prayer time like this. It can happen in a small group. It could be that you and your friend are conversing about something and and the Lord gives you a word of wisdom for them. And they're like, yeah, that makes sense. I didn't know what to do, but that, yeah, that makes sense. A word of wisdom from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit. And I love the fact that James chapter 1 verse 5 just makes it really readily available to us where it says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask for it. And what's it saying? He'll give it to you. So ask confidently. Ask confidently. 
we need to understand that we can trust the Lord. And oftentimes people are afraid and intimidated to speak for the Lord, to talk about the Lord, because they don't know what they're going to say and they're afraid they're going to get stuck. You can trust the Lord and the Lord will give you the words that you need. And you may be surprised at what the Lord can do through you. So as we close this morning, I want to say that Christianity without cost does not exist. Now that's a little bit of an extreme statement, I realize that. But Christianity does and should cost us something. If you're, if you're cruising through life as, as a Christian, and you're not giving to God, you're not serving, you're not worshiping, you're not gathering, you're not putting yourself out, you're not inconveniencing yourself in any way, you're just saying, well, I'm a Christian. Anybody can say that. And as we read this passage of scripture this morning, it would appear to me that there is a cost to being a follower of Jesus. And I want to challenge you this morning that if your Christianity is not costing you anything, please look at it again. And dig deeper. Go deeper in God. Don't just sit on the outside edges. Don't just sit on the fringes. But, but get in and go with God and trust him. Allow yourself to be put in places where you're going to be stretched. Where you're going to be tested. Where you're going to be persecuted. Where you're going to be mocked or laughed at. Stand for Christ. Let it cost you money. Give sacrificially. Don't bypass the needs of other people. Christianity costs. And pray for others whose Christianity is costing them their life, their liberty, their freedom, and their families. Christianity costs. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for this incredibly challenging word that you have given to us. We thank you for truth. And may the truth of your word set us free today. Father, may we dig in and not just be observers of the faith, but Lord, may we fully participate and live the faith with all that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Christian Life Assembly's Message of the Week. Be sure to check us out at clawinnipeg.org for more information.